Welcome to Indie Music Podcast, episode 304, interview with Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR Music, an artist development, social media, and content strategy firm. Indie Music Podcast now has a Patreon at patreon.com slash indie underscore music cast, and we invite you to become a member for exclusive benefits. For next to nothing per month, you can get members-only podcast video, early access to upcoming episodes, merch, and more. This morning, Matt and Doug meet with Ariel Hyatt and talk about her ebook, Social Media Tune-Up. We discuss how to assess, upgrade, and enhance your digital presence as an independent music artist. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Indie Music Podcast, the podcast for independent musicians and other audio professionals. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Denton, also known as Mojo of Ragged Birds Music. I'm a Bay Area mix engineer and recording artist. And Douglas Reynolds of Resonance Mastering, a mastering engineer in Bloomington, Illinois. Hello. Ariel. Hi there. Hi, Twitter friend. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, give me the give me the sign. The sign? When you're ready for me to do the intro. Um, you know what? Let me just turn off this background so I don't look super <laughs> like you're in outer su- space. <laughs> yeah, I do it. There we go. There we okay, go. And then- I'll check you out. You got your book and everything. Oh, and I'm going to plug in the uh, the proper so it sounds a little better. Sorry for my technical idiocy. No, not at all. We have our own <laughs> we have our own technical idiocy that uh, we don't talk about. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you serve musicians; they're very sensitive to you know the way things sound. Oh, of course. Go figure. Especially when you're audio engineers like us. I'm super lucky that I'm charming because I get away with really bad audio quality. God. You are charming. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Ariel Hyatt, who is an author, a digital marketer, and the owner of Cyber PR out of New York. Hi, Ariel. So good to finally talk to you face to face. Welcome, Ariel. Hi. We have been connected on and off since the MySpace days. I don't know if you realize that. This is true. No, I'm. I feel like I'm meeting like a celebrity because you've really only existed in tiny boxes. Tiny boxes. Yeah, same. Although I've seen your webinars and you probably have not seen anything of mine. So how's it going? Are you hunkered down for the big snowstorm that's supposedly coming? I am hunkered down and it is, it is already happening. Oh, really? It's, it's happening. Yeah. It's been, it's been falling since last night. We, we have milk and eggs and bread Good. and, and <laughs> I think we're going to make it through. Good, good. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your new book, uh, The Ultimate Guide to Music Publicity. I also, uh, you're oh. in, uh, located on the East Coast? I am indeed. All right. And Matt was born in a barn. My name's Doug. <laughs> I'm sorry. And. And we haven't met, and so I wanted to introduce myself uh, to you. I'm a I'm a audio mastering engineer. Um, I did have a chance to uh, read through your ebook. I love it. It did give me so, the impetus to uh, write down some questions. So I'm looking forward to hearing about you and maybe have an opportunity to ask some questions about your ebook today. Fantastic. But anyway, very nice to meet you, Ariel. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I'm so delighted sorry, Doug. to be. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, where are you? Where are you sitting right now? Uh, I'm in my studio in Central Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it's cold here, but I don't think we're going to get hit near as hard as what you guys are. So it's um, from what I said. The uh, from what I saw in the news, the 
Uh, temperatures are well below zero, depending on where you're at. Uh, I think in the, I don't know where you're at actually, but you know, like in the Boston and Vermont area, it's it's getting hit pretty hard. So yeah, yeah, I fled New York City uh, during the pandemic because I had just had a baby. So we bought a what city folk call a country house. How funny! <laughs> and we're we're up up in the western hills of of Massachusetts. Oh really? So, oh, okay. Yep, we're in the Berkshires. Oh, which is an enormous destination for summertime activities like Tanglewood and Jacob's Pillow and lots of cultural awesome stuff here. And um, only the brave live here in the winter, I have learned. Yes. Oh, funny. Well, I'm, I'm just north of San Francisco, and we don't really have harsh winters here at all, although it is like 35 right now. That's pretty cold for us. Mm. He's wearing gloves still? Nope, they're off. Yes. No, oh, they're oh, off. Taking the gloves, gloves are off. off. Gloves are gloves off. Are off. <laughs> now what are we going to do? <laughs> so back to the original scheduled questioning yeah, yeah. before the weather rundown. <laughs> yeah. um, for full, anyone listening full contact to this social the, now. Right, right. For anyone listening to this in the summer, they're going to be like, what? Um, I am Ariel Hyatt. I do run Cyber PR. I have been running an agency that serves independent musicians for 25 years, which is amazing to think. I started as a traditional publicist and in very early days realized that for the demographic of artists I was serving, which is independent, self-funded, most of them not having management and or a label or any kind of support, that the whole traditional PR model wasn't going to work out really well for them. And I started in 2007 exploring digital marketing I was the crazy woman in the room saying, I think y'all should get on Twitter and try email for a few years. And then, of course, everything caught up. Um, my agency has iterated many times in 25 years, as we've all had to iterate and learn new everything over and over and over. And I think that goes for everyone in every sector of our business. And currently, where we sit in, in the marketplace of service is I love planning. I love helping artists plan because I think right now with 70,000 tracks a day going up on Spotify, which is like mm -hmm. mind numbing, um, without a plan and with just staying in that reactivity mode of, I have to be on Instagram. I have to be on this. I have mm -hmm. to write this. Mm -hmm. I have to, we never get out ahead. And I'm also deeply, deeply disturbed and discouraged at Spotify mm -hmm. and how little it pays artists. I'm disturbed about their embracing of potentially not great factual scientific <laughs> evidence. Right. So I'm, I'm interested in, in what's happening there and watching, you know, which artists are making choices these days. And also um, it's not only Spotify, right? It's every platform that right. is owned by a major billionaire or is publicly traded has somehow figured out how to screw the independent artist. And it's, it's a very, um, it's an exciting time to be an artist and a creator. I really believe that, but I also really sympathize and empathize with how hard it is to, to cut through the noise these days. So we are planners and we are, we still do a fair bit of digital publicity, but writing marketing plans is, is really what, what our superpower is these days. Yeah, so let me ask you. So that yeah, so uh, about Spotify. Apparently, I just read that they lost like two billion dollars in market value of all the people quitting Spotify in the last 24, 48 hours. But uh, in terms of uh, what you see musicians doing right now, it seems like everybody has 
been uh, pivoting a lot in the last couple of years because of the pandemic and looking at alternate income streams and, and really kind of getting creative with stuff. What are you seeing there that's new and exciting um, for independent musicians? I am not a huge believer that that the mainstream independent musician who doesn't have like a huge mm-hmm. following already should jump onto the new shiny object of the week. So as much as like, I'd love to advise on minting NFTs oh. for everyone. Um, I, I, I say, you know what it, it always, and I've seen this for 25 years. I started at an independent record label called what our records based in Boulder, Colorado. And the owner of that record label was a genius because he understood what we call direct to fan. Now, mm. back then it was just called having a mailing list and touring the same markets often. Right. Now it's called something else. But what I see over and over and over is the artists who win are the ones who understand own as much of your communication as you can mm-hmm. communicate, communicate with this is so trite and like we've heard this so many times, authenticity, right? right? But it's real. And I think that we're all exhausted from looking at everybody's BS with a filter on it Mm -hmm. when you go to Instagram. And I think it's also, we've learned now that comparing ourselves to others so easy to do, Yes, but you never see the full picture when you're just looking at a bunch of photos. I, I admire the artists and I think the artists that really work on building their email list. It's the least sexy thing in in the whole canon of what we can use for marketing. And the ones that are communicating, honestly, whether they're doing it with videos, with podcasts, with audio drops, with their songwriting, that's that's to me the, the best form of marketing and everything else can come and go. And then of course, there's still a frenzy of how do I get on Spotify playlists and how do I get a million plays on my videos and all of that. But that's never what I see as a path to a sustainable career. You know, e- email to me is uh, it's something that I have to remove myself from because I would be your worst <laughs> email marketing prospect because I probably read about 1% of my email. I review titles and who it's from, mm-hmm. and uh, most of it doesn't get opened. It just gets marked as read. But I get uh, a very large quantity of email in several different email accounts, and uh, some are just set up for accounts and spam um, that I, or accounts that I expect to get spam from, or other ones are uh, legitimate accounts, and then uh, uh, and then clients. So those ones that are kind of fit outside of my mainstream, you know, I, I don't really pay much attention to them. That's where all the marketing email comes from, and with the Google tools. Uh, they're getting flagged as marketing or social ahead of time and put in in their own folders, uh, which I generally don't look at very much. So I don't know that I am the norm in that, but it always surprises me that uh, email marketing is still as successful or can be as successful as it is. So I have to remove myself from that because I don't think that I represent what uh, what that target is all about. I think that's true. I think that's true. I think also when you've had contact with an onslaught of bad marketing, which mm-hmm. <laughs> as someone who's worked as a producer and served how many hundreds and hundreds of artists and touched how many hundreds and hundreds, you, you do begin to get numb to bad emails. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I think you're right. You're not. And I always have to remind artists, like when you see an email that irritates you, Think about why and don't do it. Don't, don't emulate that. 
Um, yeah. You know, you always have to figure out. And I think also it's always really hard to market and work with artists that have no outside contact with humanity. You know, mm-hmm. they just want to be studio musicians and they just want to market digitally and they don't have a lot of people that they know. Um, <laughs> you have to have a real talent for how to touch and move and inspire people that don't know you in real life or feel that they know you somehow. If you're good, if you're good at, at social media and you, you can move people, then yes. But I, you see the artists and, you know, these are some of the older ones in the books, like the Amanda Palmers of the world mm-hmm. who toured and touched, personally touched thousands of people. That's why they succeed 20 years later. Right. Yeah. It's it's about authentic connection and, and making people feel something. And when you're putting up those fake filters and, and fake fronts, people don't connect with that anymore. And the people are so used to seeing behind the scenes and seeing the authentic person behind the image that that's what they expect now. They want connections. I agree. So tell us about this uh, this ebook that you have out. That's pretty comprehensive and impressive. The social media tune up ebook. Who is the uh, who is your audience for this? So there's something that we see over and over when artists come and they want to work with us. We have a a way of asking them to fill out this form. Just tell us about yourself. And we notice almost every time artists do not focus on what marketers call the customer journey. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be warm about it and we'll call it the fan journey. So I'm a fan. I'm interested in your music. I click on whatever social media drug of choice I like to consume. <laughs> and I, I very, very often find giant missing elements. So on YouTube, for example, the artist has forgotten to put any links in the top right-hand corner and they've forgotten to put a bio that makes any sense. And they've forgotten to curate their videos or even tag them with good meta tags. Um, jump on over to Instagram. The artist doesn't know that they can use a short link or a link tree so that instead of having just one link, they could have five or 10. Their bio doesn't really explain anything. They haven't thought through a hashtag strategy, et cetera, et cetera. So what social media tune-up does is it helps artists look at every single platform, including Spotify and your email. And it asks the basic questions. Have you pinned something to the top in the past two months? Or is it a year old? Mm -hmm. Things that you don't often think about. And it's full of checklists so that you can look at each platform, learn a bit about it, and then walk through the checklist and check off and fix all the things that might be stopping your fans on their journey. Yeah, that's amazing. And there's such a need for that too, because I mean, you know, I have a whole community of musicians that I talk to daily and weekly on Twitter, which is my social media drug of choice. And um, this common complaint is, you know, they all just want to be creators and they don't want to be marketers and they really resist, even though they're a, a, you know, a one person independent business, but they don't, think of themselves that way and they don't want to market and they resist it. And having the checklists would really make that easier because it is a whole kind of separate skill that you'd just love to hand to somebody if you had somebody to hand it to, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. That's why I like checklists because, <laughs> you know, um, I'm dyslexic. So, so I, I work very well with systems mm-hmm. and if I have a list I can check off, my brain can't take over and defeat me, which I think is what happens to creative people. I agree. When you you have a creative brain, 
it is very hard to focus, especially on things that are not interesting. Like, let's face it, no one, no one records music going, wow, I can't wait to, you know, maximize my Twitter profile. Right. Like, that's not what they're thinking about in the studio. So is the uh, the intake form that you were talking about, is that related to your social media organizer that you uh, talk about in your book? Part of it is, actually. So um, we also realized that social media, it, as we know, it's designed to take us down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and make us stay on whatever platform we're on. You know, I, some of the movies that have come out about social media in the last couple of years really shed a light on just how addictive. And when when you learn that most social sites actually worked with gaming right. companies, people that are addicted to things like slot machines, mm-hmm. that that is how all of these platforms are designed to get you to keep putting another coin in and pressing the button and don't leave and let the little part of your brain that gives you that hit of endorphins. Mm-hmm. It's all designed to keep you there. So you would never get to maximizing your profile because, oh, look, there's a kitten or whatever it is. The moment you get on there, you're looking at something. Oh, look, terrible news. I must read about the bomb, thunder, lightning. (laughs) I mean, it's just snow, everyone. Like all of a sudden it's become, you know. The bomb cyclone. Bomb cyclone snow. (laughs) Come on. So when I'm taking a look at who... My fans are, I, I don't know if I really have fans, you know, but- uh, <laughs> I'm your fan, um, Doug, come on. <laughs> you, yeah, you're my number one fan. And uh, most people I think that follow, or that are my followers on social are not my customers. And uh, I do have uh, like a defined ideal customer, fan, if you will. And, uh, and that's uh, um, the uh, target that I'd like to reach, but um, they are not really, or haven't, been responsive and I've tried lots of different things, but for uh, an independent musician, how can they determine who their most important social audience is? If it's, is it their followers or is it the, is it the individuals and the type of individual that is interacting with them? Because followers is one thing, but actual interaction is, is another thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think you, know, you said something really, really important in, in this question. And the thing you said was, I have defined my ideal customer. So I would say 99% of artists don't do that. In this desperation, and I think social media has contributed and this thinking in the millions kind of mm-hmm. crazy that's gone on, it's made us stop thinking about our ideal customer because instead of thinking about who would my ideal fan be, And that's the way normal smart businesses do business. P.S. They go, okay, I appeal to women in their 40s who are soccer moms, who drive a certain type of SUV, who listen to NPR, whatever it is. They really know Mm -hmm. the behaviors of their customers so that they can figure out how to market to them. So that is step one. Who is your fan? Your fan is absolutely not everyone between the ages of 16 and 65 who live in the the English-speaking world. That is not ever true. So honing in on what would be a particular thing about my fan base is key. Getting a narrow scope. Are they male? Are they female? Are they non-binary? Are they gay? Are they straight? Are they moms? Are Are they educated? Are they 
heavy drinkers? Do they love to dance, party? Are they depressed? I don't know. There's so many different things you can think about. Um, and then think about, you know, who does your music sound like? What is the messaging in your musical content? Who are you? I've never, I often say to, to artists that don't know how to do this, like take the mirror and face it outwards. Most likely your fans are probably around your age, probably like the same things you like, probably have the same mindset as you, or, or you would not be appealing at all lyrically or on stage or anything you say in between. Um, it's not true every single time, but I think it's a good place to start. So defining your customer is step one. And when I say customer, please think fan, <laughs> fan, customer, same thing. And then ask yourself not what social channel do I enjoy the most? Because for most artists, 99% of the time, the answer is Instagram. <laughs> Why? It's visual. Right. Artists are visual. It is easy to use. That might not be where your people are, right? So mm. ask yourself. I mean, look, there's millions of people on every social channel. So there's never a correct answer for this. The answer is the one that you put the most time and energy and love and effort into is the one to use. And the one that doesn't make you want to die. You know, <laughs> yeah. when, you know seriously, like sure. for years, I tried to pull artists onto Twitter and they didn't like it. I like it. I I'm ADD. It. I love I'm it. You and I've been there a long day. time. Yeah. <laughs> I know you are. You know, not many of us left from back in the day. Right. Right. Everybody's moved on. Um, but there's still millions and millions of people on that platform. So you don't discount it at all. If you're good at it, if it's the one you like, stick with that one and figure out where those right fans who fit into your customer description, customer archetype, mm -hmm. or as we would call it, that's what you're looking for, your fan archetype. And they're on every channel. Right. So defining them is key and then figuring out what kind of content is going to work for them. That, I'm I sorry, might, that makes too much sense. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might, I might want to post about like my kid or like girly stuff, like what makeup I like, but my audience is like 70% older dudes. Why? I've been in the music business 25 years and I've served a lot of <laughs> rock and roll okay, guys. Yeah. They're, they're probably not going to... I resemble that remark. No, right? So they might, might not be so interested in, you know, the rom-com I'm watching. They might be more interested in, I don't know, something that's well, more suitable to that demo. Yeah. Let's unpack you that know, for I've, a second. Cause uh, you were, you're talking about earlier about being authentic and showing behind the scenes and not putting up, uh, you know, a, 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 well, a false front, but maybe a filtered front. Um, but some of us, and that's kind of how I post and maybe it's not successful, but um, some of us like to know that you're watching, you know, love actually on a Friday night or whatever. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm I kind of say this in jest because be yourself, but also, my mom gave me terrible advice when I was a kid. She said, she said, do what you love and the money will follow. I've heard that okay. a million times. I don't know if right? that's true, but I'm, I've pretty much proven that it's not true. So, so I think there's a, there's a, there's a little correction to make in that. And this goes for marketing too. Mm -hmm. do what you love and look at how money is actually made mm -hmm. and kind of figure out right. how do you, how do you attune those two things? And then you get a much more uh, greater chance of, accumulating some of that money, right? Instead mm -hmm. of just going, you know, living in crazy foo-foo la-la land, right? <laughs> so yes, being authentic is great, but also understanding that 
if you're completely off the mark and doing something that is unappealing totally on your socials, there's you're not going to get a lot of pickup if you're trying to match up to who is already following you there. Mm-hmm. And the good news is these social channels do give us analytics. So you can yes. begin to get a sense of who's out there and who am I talking to. You know, I've had comments of, uh, are you running a coffee shop or <laughs> a mastering studio? <laughs> you know, so. You know, well, I, you know, I, I like to make coffee and espresso and, and I'm into coffee gear, you know, and so mm-hmm. that makes up some of my content. Um, but uh, uh, that's where some personal things like you're talking about come into your business content. But I, I have always felt that it's important to let people know a little bit about who I am mm-hmm. because that's who they're hiring. That's who they're going to develop a relationship with. It's not my company. It's me. You know, and um, and so here's a little bit about me. Um, I think I used to go overboard in that, and uh, and I've pulled back a lot on that. But um, I think that it's my channel. I I can do what I want. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. And, of course. And you should. Yeah. And I have a sense that you're not starving for new clients, <laughs> and that you're well established, and you're busy. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's a privilege, and very few artists are in that position where there's this like crazy word of mouth and, you know, another stat that's kind of bumming me out recently about what we're learning about listener habits in the pandemic is people are listening to catalog like 89% of the time and not listening to new Mm. releases. And um, that's depressing, right? So it's like, you're, you're even, it's even harder now to get attention. But I I don't disagree with you. Yes, if you're into coffee, if you're into working out or sports or your dog or cooking, I think all of that should in fact be on your channel. But I cannot tell you how many times we go to do a social media audit and we're like, oh my God, we can't even tell you're a musician at all. <laughs> like you posted one time the day your thing came out and then there's a lot of photos of your dog, which is great. And there's a right. lot of people that like your breed of dog and you're talking about your dog and that's fun. But like two months ago when that track came out was the last time we noticed any kind of music content. So really just thinking about how do I incorporate a little bit more? When I hired a marketing company to help market what we do, we learned a lot about inbound marketing and matching up what it is you do with what it is you write about. And that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. you write melancholy songs about, I don't know, maybe you're a social justice warrior with a depressed angle, you know, if you have like only really happy, shiny, fun (laughs) posts, and they're all about, you know, your healthy eating habits and working out, you're probably not going to attract the people that would be in tune with your lyrical content. Right. Just saying. In which case you probably... If you feel the need to post that, you should probably start a second feed, one for your personal and make it private, right? Or whatever. And then have one for your public, you know, your music persona. Or just think, you know, just how do I do more music? And I think a lot of times artists are really resistant to that because they don't want to look salesy and they don't sure. want to look like. Oh, there's a lot of resistance t- to salesy. So oh, because we hate so being sold to. And it's so overwhelming that we all feel a little bit icky about you know, I don't want to push this on people. So they release something, they say it once, and then they don't want to talk about it again because, oh, I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be, I don't want to bug people with my music that I worked two right. years on. 
Right. And if you think about consumer behavior, that's not how consumers consume. No. You look, think about commercial radio. They play the same four songs 3,000 million <laughs> times right. a week because that's how much, that's how many times right. people have to hear something to get used to it. Right? Yeah. Music's so. a funny thing where I, uh, when somebody mentioned this, that really hit me, which was music's one of the few things that you consume before you purchase it. True. Like you, you buy coffee and then you make it and then you drink it. You buy, you know, you go to a movie and you consume it after you've purchased a ticket. But with music, you hear it over and over, and then you go, you know what? I, this grew on me. I like it. Now I'm going to buy it. That's for sure. That's unless you are committed to and mm-hmm. bonded to your favorite artist, right. and then you will buy anything they do Correct. before it comes. So, right? yeah. And that fits into something I was going to talk about in a second. You mentioned the three types of fans, and I love your term ambient fans, which is kind of like followers the people in your orbit, but they're not engaged. And then there's the engaged ones who may or may not be actual fans, and then there's the true fans. Now, I have people, you know, obviously who follow me on social that never engage, and they're they're in my orbit or whatever. And then I have people that I engage with, and I know that works both ways, But and I like them as people, and I talk to them all the time, but I may not necessarily be fans of their work, but I, I respect them and enjoy, you know, promoting them um, because I think that they're talented, but it's not necessarily something I would listen to on a daily basis. So that's a whole separate kind of thing. So it is interesting to kind of mark the different levels of people in your social orbit. Indeed. Indeed. I think that it's interesting that you say that, like you're not, maybe you're not a major fan and you don't want to listen to someone's track on repeat, but you're more than happy because you love that person, respect that person, Mm -hmm. like that person, interact with that person to promote them. Right. This is like when you're dating (laughs) and you can ask all your best friends in the world, can you hook me up with someone? And they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then you ask a complete, like, like not totally random, but pretty much random stranger. And they're the one that hooks you up with your husband. You know, that's, (laughs) that's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, how people, people, people have different reasons for being in and around your orbit. And yes, maybe they love your coffee and they're not, they're not musicians, but they they have a friend who's a musician who goes, you know, I've really been looking for a mixing mastering person. I can't find one. Oh, I follow this guy because I really love his espresso maker, but I think he's a mastering guy. And and voila, new totally. client. Totally. Yeah. That is the beauty of social. You, you had a keyword for me. Um, you mentioned uh, catalog, that uh, the consumers are going to catalog in this time. And that made me think of how important developing a catalog is for artists and to actually have a back catalog of music available. Because if, if you are reaching and touching some, some new contacts, and it's going to lead me into one other question on your ebook, that uh, uh, to give them an opportunity to go and peruse your catalog. Because if you, if you only have a couple new releases out there available to look at and listen to, you know, uh, how does that compare to actually having five or six albums of content on Bandcamp or wherever you decide to to put it, whether it be free or or streaming, you know, or however you you release your music? That seems like an important aspect to having something for your fans to shop. Indeed. Indeed, which I think it's why it's harder to market brand new artists that have two tracks. Because mm-hmm. where do you go? All right, I listened to the two tracks. <laughs> now I'm done and I'm yeah. moving on, right? So this is another reason why, you know, when, when new artists come out, we say, look, you got to get a track out every four to six weeks because people bore easily and they're going to go right back to their Taylor Swift catalog or whatever it is they're listening to, right? And then 
there is something really beautiful about having a catalog. A catalog represents a plethora of marketing opportunities. Mm -hmm. That track that was your hot track four years ago for your brand new fan that's just finding you because of your espresso maker or your dog or whatever it is, <laughs> they don't know about your hot track from four years ago. They don't know that you played South by Southwest and you Well, that wraps up another episode of the Indie in Music Podcast. Please like and they subscribe, share with your friends, you or just leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you've heard. Find our social links and episode guide at IndieMusicS.com. Until next time, keep creating. I don't know. All of those things are possibilities for marketing. TBT, Flashback Friday. Today is the anniversary of the release of my album that changed my life 10 years ago. Here it is, just in case you didn't know. Yeah, that's so important. That's awesome. People just kind of feel like, because social media is such a churn, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, they don't realize that, you know, everything old is new to somebody. So, I mean, I have, I have auto posting from my website and now from our, from our podcast website that, that reposts old stuff and says, here, in case you missed it. And I'm I just, I'm always amazed at how many people engage with things that I'd, I'd even forgotten about um, yep. because it's new to them. And it's, you know, it's, it's old to, to me. I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but here it is. And somebody goes, wow, this is amazing. Right. It's funny. Our top three articles on our website are the Musician's Guide to Marketing Plans. I wrote those, you know, I don't know, over 10 years ago. We update them every year. But they're still, I mean, we we write about all kinds of new shiny things that you could need to know about, but those are the articles that people come back to. So you are right. And I think in, in this other horrible sort of 24-hour news cycle demand that social media and marketing puts on all of us, we forget about those gems. So yeah, pull them out, pull them out and, and begin to line them up. Another thing that I love as a marketing strategy is think about your lyrical content. Mm -hmm. What is in your lyrical content that might match up to one of these silly social media holidays? It's hamburger day. It's (laughs) It's drink tea day. I don't know. It's national love your puppy day. Do you you have a song about anything like this? Do you have a tie-in? National Mental Health Month comes every year. International Women's mm-hmm. Month comes every year. Are right. you female, forward-fronted, helping support women? There's a whole month for you to market. Right. So I had. Uh, we're going to just have a couple minutes left. But uh, one question I didn't get to was, and I would love to learn more about, is uh, social fan communities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, is this about like creating communities of like fans or uh, could you briefly describe what a social fan community is? Sure. So there's many different ways that you can dig into social fan communities. There are already gazillions of them that exist. So I am not an enormous fan of like, go make your own personal private Facebook group that you then have to like feed and monitor Mm. and deal with. However, Anything that you like and can make a contribution to, no matter what topic it is in. And I recommend not going to the musician's Facebook groups. Let's let's go with Facebook groups because everybody knows what that is and it's sort of easy to think about in your mind. There is a Facebook group for literally everything, anything you are interested in. Okay, so I've just moved to the Berkshires in Massachusetts. It's a pandemic. I'm completely isolated. I have a baby. I don't go out. I have joined all of these Facebook groups. Working mothers in the Berkshires, uh, you know, people that are buying and selling free stuff, 
whatever it is. And now I'm seeing names and the same names are coming up because it's a small rural community. I'm making contributions when people say, hey, what's the best, I don't know, crib for your kid? I know the answer to that. And there I am contributing, contributing. And then I also have joined musicians in the Berkshires and working artists in the Western Massachusetts world. And it's not about me marketing and promoting myself. It's a community of people where I can be a contribution. And then when there's something to announce, hey, I've got a new book out. Hey, I'm on a podcast. Hey, I just hit number two on the Spotify playlist. You can then say to the list who knows you, likes you, trusts you because you've made contributions that are not listen to me, like me, listen to me, like me, listen to me, like me. Don't do that. Do something else. (laughs) Join the Join the coffee lovers and makers. I'm in a Moroccan cooking group. I love Moroccan food. I'm not kidding. I love Moroccan food. It's a global community of people making Moroccan food and showing photos of it and their their tagine cooking utensils globally. It is such a fun group um, and I contribute. I don't know when I'd ever say, hey, I've got a book out, but people know who I am in that group and it's it wouldn't be unusual to do something like that. Cool. Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a microphone group and I, I'm not a recording engineer so, uh, per se, but I have an interest in in microphones. And and most of the people that are in that group are uh, videographers who use microphones with their cameras equipment. And yeah. um, uh, but it, it turned into a really neat segue to show how I'm using their microphone for podcasting, which was just a, an unintentional way for me to promote this podcast. You know, in that group, and I, I actually I went there of interest and not for that reason at all. But that opportunity came up. And so it's a little light. It's like, oh, isn't that interesting how those little opportunities can come up through interests that may have some type of connection. And you just needed to kind of discover what that is and make yourself available for it. Exactly. And it all goes back to like, stop trying to market yourself and, and be authentic. Just share yourself. You were in there truly interested in those conversations. It doesn't work if you go in going, okay, once a week, I'm going to push my thing. But that's never going to work. But there you go. New podcast fans, because somebody knows you and they trust you and they like Doug's opinions about microphones, <laughs> let me listen to this podcast. And we're back. And so, we're back. <laughs> yeah, not only did I forget to tell you <laughs> that we were going to be on video so you could fix your hair, I forgot to mention that we have a, a hard 40-minute limit. <laughs> Got it. Stop. Yeah, we shouldn't have talked about the weather for so long. It was my fault for bringing up that last topic, and I wasn't paying attention. I knew we had all we had four minutes, and all of a sudden it was gone. I was like, "Where'd it go?" (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, "Ah!" "Okay, Um, should we do something to wrap up?" Yeah, uh, we should. Let people know where they can find you on the interwebs. I would love to do that. You can find me everywhere at Cyber PR. You can find the musician's advice and articles and my podcast and my books at cyberprmusic.com. There <laughs> and we go. will put this in the show yeah, notes. All your well. links will be in our show notes. And uh, man, it's so great to talk to you and actually finally talk to you face to face. And uh, what a fun time. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for shedding some light about, about fans and the realities of, of what artists are up against. I think it was a really, yeah, we should have you back to talk more about it. I think that this is a, a, a big interest to our listeners and even to us personally. And I think that we just kind of scratched the surface here and we'd love to have you back. Well, good luck. Very nice to meet you. Ariel. Good luck there in the Berkshires um, with your, your new baby and um, with the snow. <laughs> 
all of it. Thank you. I need luck. <laughs> all right. See you on. I'll, we'll see you online. See you on the yep, Twitter. I'll look for you out there. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Indie Music Podcast. Please like and subscribe, share with your friends, or just leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you've heard. Find our social links and episode guide at IndieMusicCast.com. Until next time, keep creating. Keep creating.